Hey everybody, welcome to Frankenstein's podcast where it's all about the monster. We're a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm Joe Prasco, one of your hosts, and with me as always is... Your other host, Khalid Hussain. Hey, Khalid. Hey, Joe. What's it going, buddy? It's going good. I'm great, man. I uh, had a little bit of a cold the last like few days, but I'm getting on the other end of it and just making sure I'm microphone ready now. I hope I don't sound too phlegmy or anything. Sound great, as always. You sound great. Mm, thank you. Thank you. How's, how's it going with you? Oh, good. Good, Khalid. I, I like October. October spooky season. And, you know, I don't know. Our podcast kind of goes with that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, this really is your time to shine. Um, it's it's a celebration of like fandom and like, especially with like horror and like obscure uh, references and stuff like that. I feel like it's really up your alley. So I hope you're making the most of it. I always do. I always do. Yeah. You know, it used to be uh, back in the day, back back in the day, I don't know, like a couple of years ago before I started a podcast, I guess. Um, it used to be the kind of only time throughout the year I could really get away with like doing horror movies for like movie nights in her house right yeah and now it's like all, all the time i guess Year because round. of the podcast but yeah it's, it's still a little bit special like it's still special like we're doing like you know you know it's like oh it's it's a it's a spookier season to watch horror movies but, no yeah def- no I, I i've indulged a little too it feels right and it's been it's been fun you know just like watching a few more extra it feels like extra credit i guess for me just yeah. uh I'm not doing it just because the podcast like asks me to. <laughs> it's also fun because other people like are doing it too. So you're not like the weird one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm, I'm going with the flow. I'm with the mainstream on this one. Exactly. Exactly. It's been fun to do uh, some fun Halloween activities. I always love, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I always love like Minnesota in the fall, like when the leaves are falling and the, the colors are all pretty, but like, I like the vibe of like this, this time, like October, you know, with like leaves on the ground and like the pumpkins are coming out and stuff. So we got, we got pumpkins, of course, the kids got to carve pumpkins. They loved it. Got some fun, fun ones. Um, Halloween kind of activities. Got the, you know, the apple cider, of course, all that. Yeah. You know, just get in the spirit. I love it. It's all, it's a lot of fun. Pumpkin spice is back, baby. Yeah. I love pumpkin spice. I like pumpkin spice uh, beer a lot. I've realized. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got, I, I was like, I don't know. I like, I didn't think about it until like a little ways into October. And, um, I was just like, you know, getting regular beers at the liquor store. And I'm like, Oh damn, like there's pumpkin flavored beers. And I tried that. <laughs> I'm like, I like this. Like this is this, this is the time of the year. That's perfect for like, like the barrel age, like whiskey tinted, like heavy beers. But like, I, so I get some of those and pumpkin beers and you're set wow. for October. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you have a space to just like comfortably out yourself as a pumpkin spice lover. Oh, I absolutely am. Yeah. Pumpkin yeah. spice is the shit. Well, you know what, man? Let your freak flag fly. You you enjoy your PSBs wherever, whenever. PSBs. What's a... Oh, beer. Pum- I, I don't know, <laughs> also, I mean, the lattes are good. PSLs? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't do caffeine and I don't really drink, so... Uh, I don't know. I can't speak to either. I'm only going off your word. For all I know, it's the most garbage thing ever, but I trust you. So yeah, let's go. Yeah. PSBs. Yeah, you don't. It's true. You don't drink. You don't do care. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, our listeners might not know, Kali, that you're actually Amish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just getting back from a barn raising and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> I was just giggling for a second because you're going with the bit, but then I laughed more at the arms tired joke. That was pretty good. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice. Speaking of jokes, Khalid. 
<laughs> yeah, speaking of. What? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> what what do you call a sleeping werewolf? Huh. What what do you call him? I don't know. An unaware wolf. Ew. Yeah, unf- I thought you, I thought you unf- liked that one. No, that was unfortunate. That's really the best word for it. <laughs> oh, you're playing with it because it's unaware, unaware, nope, and unfortunate. Nope. You're, you're just you're playing off it. I see what you're doing. That was good, Khalid. There I like. There's no play to be had there. Yeah, just... and that's a, and that's a segue to uh, what we're talking about today. It sure is, technically. <laughs> um, you love it. Oh yeah, man, can't get enough. Um, yeah, so today we are talking about the 2022 Marvel special event series. I don't know what you're calling it, what we're calling it. But uh, yeah, it's called Werewolf by Night. It was directed by Michael Giacchino. That's my air horns. And I've got a synopsis from our homeboy Google, and it goes a little something like this. On a dark and somber night, a secret cabal of monster hunters emerge from the shadows and gather at the Bloodstone Temple following the death of their leader, the attendees are thrust into a mysterious and deadly competition for a powerful relic. <laughs> what a monster! They're creatures of the abstract level of potential energy. It's alive! Spooky. Yeah, wanted to, you know, it's like this is going to come out around Halloween in time or whatever, so. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. The, the laugh adds a lot. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so yeah. That's that's about that. Uh, what what'd you think of it, bro? I loved it. I watched it twice in a week, which like, I mean, it's it's only 50 minutes. So like, that's not like super impressive. But mm-hmm. like, it was one of those things where I was like, excited at the thought that I get to watch it again, just so I like have it fresher in my mind. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, like, we'll get into it. But so good just all the way through just uh the stylistic choices the uh the creature effects which i'm so pumped to talk about um the casting was great and um i guess like more to the point of everything else it still felt very marvel without like feeling like the compulsion to remind you that the marvel universe exists you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, it was it, it was amazing, and I'm sure I'll gush about it some more. But I want to hear what your uh, initial thoughts are. Oh, I really liked it too. I was I was very excited when I heard this was coming out a long time ago. This is a a whole lot of fun. Like as uh, like I mean, you know, we're we're both comic book fans and Marvel Marvel fans, and we're also monster fans. Like it's just a great intersection of things that we love. So I mean, I was just, I was pumped for it, and uh, like the way that this. Uh, kind of like draws influence from like you know classic monster things like the hammer hammer horror films or like the universal classic monster movies and that kind of stuff like it's super fun to see just like them playing around with like you know new styles and and something that does feel like wholly distinct and and fresh you know like i feel like we we keep getting the things where people are like oh this is a new look for marvel a very distinct marvel thing and i'm like yeah it is like to some extent but like arguably they all have the same feel and you said this does have a feel but it, it, i feel like it definitely is the most distinct feeling thing they've done yet it's oh the whole thing's amazing and like i feel like this is basically like a like it almost felt like a marvel what if where like peggy carter and the hulk had to like fight people you know what i mean like yeah 
Like it really just felt like this like cool offshoot of like characters that you might not normally see together that just get to just like kick ass. And I mean, I don't say that to say like I needed that like parallel to appreciate it. It's just that was the closest thing I could think of that would like work in just like a straight up Marvel production. Right. Yeah. And no, that's a good way to put it. Like, it does kind of feel like an almost like a what if storyline because it just feels so like the, the way it's shot, it feels so different than everything else. But um, it's cool, though, because it does really open the door for like just a whole new like like area for Marvel to explore. Like like we've got like the cosmic space stuff. We got magic. We've got science and technology, aliens, all that weird stuff. Um, gods and like afterlife stuff. And, uh, and now we finally get into this, like kind of like macabre supernatural element. Like I know that was teased with blade of course, but like this is the first, like where they're fully diving into that. And so it's kind of fun to see the door like fully opened on that. Yeah, totally. And it feels like such a, just like, especially labeling it a special event, which I think was wise or like at the very least, like putting kind of an asterisk to it of like, they're not stylistically married to the decisions they made in this. It really was just for the purposes of this story, like making it feel like an old Hollywood, like monster picture was the best choice, but they've given themselves the out of like, they can still like play with the supernatural. They can play with like darker demonic, like stories and characters and do it in a completely new way with like you mentioned blade or any future productions they have. Mm hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think it was like a very like clever move on their part to just like let somebody take the keys to a Marvel production and just like make something that feels wholly its own. And it really just it paid off in dividends like this really feels like a, an installment in like yearly like required viewings for like Halloween fans if they want to if they want to watch something that's just like fun and new. For sure. And and honestly, this kind of feels like I, I want to say not to like get down on any of the marvel productions because i don't think we're we're that those types of fans like we've really enjoyed most of the stuff they put out but like it feels like almost what was promised when they started trying to do the like disney plus shows like in a sense they were like this this seemed like a playground like uh like the shows like an area to kind of do different kinds of stories that they weren't able to do in the movies and as we pointed out before like on the moon Knight episode like not a lot of the shows have really justified for the reason for being shows other than just like where they could have been a movie, you know, Mm -hmm. like this feels like finally them trying to do something that feels unique to like this format, like a a special presentation, like a, like a special event episode of something, you know, rather than like, it's not a movie, it's not a TV series, it's kind of its own thing. And so it feels like they're finally delivering on that promise of doing something unique and different. And it really just kind of points out like this obvious thing of like, for better or worse, when it comes to the blockbuster landscape, Disney and Marvel are at the top. You know, I can't think of anything else that can come close to like what the MCU can say it's accomplished so far, whatever your feelings may be on it. So it gets to that point of like, when you're at the top, like, isn't the whole benefit that you can just make your own rules and do whatever. And this is an amazing example of what that could look like, you know, now that you're not necessarily like beholden to any like conventional wisdom on the subject, because like you are a trailblazer now you get whatever you do could be the new precedent yeah yeah not to credit them with like the idea of a special (laughs) event series or whatever but you know what i mean like from where this thing spawned to like now we just kind of get this like you know for all intents and purposes throwaway like fun pastiche of like old horror movies uh and it all started with edward norton's hulk like that's just crazy to think you know yeah no it's 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 a it's a it's a journey it's been a journey yeah yeah um, 
I uh, I did I dug into some of the history of some of the characters that we we see in this. So like, of course, the werewolf by night night character, uh, Jack Russell is the main character we see here. Um, I'm just you know, realizing that's his name, which I'm so yeah, mad at. That is. Uh, I was gonna ask if you got that. Yeah, Jack Russell. <laughs> yeah, no, my I I'm trying not to like grind my teeth right now since I'm yeah. being recorded, but yeah. That is lit a fire inside me that <laughs> on a werewolf only sparked embers from. <laughs> yep. There you go. Yeah. Got to Got to ride those embers. Oh God. Um, Jack Russell. Jack right, Russell. Moving yeah. on. I don't even think they fully say it. Do they say it? At, no, of course once? they don't. If they do, it's insane. And I, my brain forced me to like <laughs> shut it out. Yeah. Uh, it's all right. Um, so do you know where the character first appeared in the comics? I do not. Uh, apparently in 1954. Before Marvel became Marvel, it was called Atlas Comics, and they Mm. published a five-page short story called Werewolf by Night in uh, what they called Marvel Tales number 116. Um, Then uh, when the Comics Code Authority like kind of loosened their rules in 1971, uh, Marvel was now Marvel, they uh, kind of came back to the concept and created the Jack Russell version of the Werewolf by Night in, uh, it's called Marvel Spotlight number two, which was in February 1972. And it was actually based on an idea from Roy Thomas, who was kind of one of the like com- comic writers in, in Marvel who came up with some of the, like the more like that more horror side of things. Um, and uh, the name was suggested by Stan Lee and the initial creative team was uh, Jerry Conway and Mike Plug. There was a second Werewolf of, N- of Night character after Jack Russell. Um, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but it was in t- 2020 where that was created. Um, and it was actually created by a team including taboo of the black eyed peas which was an interesting fun fact yeah right that that i was not expecting that to be what you said yeah right it goes interesting direction there taboo doing your thing yeah so there yeah so there are two uh two yeah two werewolves by night i i think that the one that we see in the movie is or the in the in the special supposed to be the jack russell version i believe i don't remember what the other one's name is so i don't know so did you have like familiarity with the character or the storylines before you watched the movie? Zero. Not, okay. Well, th- not this one, but I, I guess uh, I, I know we're in spoiler territory always with these stuff, but uh, we didn't mention that the other big kind of breakout star of this was the, is the man thing, right? The, the creature? The, yeah, the man thing. So the man thing's actually a pretty prominent comic, comic character. And I do have, I do have, are we talking about Ted? Just I want to make sure. Okay. Ted. Yep. Ted. Uh, Did they call him the man thing in the, but that's who it is. Yeah. Got it. I just want to make sure I didn't miss that. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So man thing, that character, Ted, uh, it was created by, of course, Stan Lee and Roy Thomas as well and Jerry Conway. Uh, but the char- that character first appeared in Savage Tales number one in 1971 and went on to be featured in a lot of various titles and series in his own. Um, but there wasn't. So this is how my experience with it. There was a live action Man Thing movie in 2005. And uh, it was a it was going to go into the theaters, but they didn't do it because apparently it was not good. And I, I watched it probably back then when I was like 15. But it went to it was a sci-fi channel original, mm. yeah. And so they made this movie, and um, so the character is uh, uh, is actually it's like a doctor, like Doctor, I don't know Theodore something or other. I forget. I not, not the top of my head. I'll remember later. But that's why they call him Ted. That's like based on a person. But yeah, it's man thing is what the character is called is in it the like comics. A science experiment gone wrong or something. S- something like that. So. Basically, um, yes, 
yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, science experiment thing, sci- you know, scientist. But the man thing was referenced in the MCU before this. Clee, did you know that? I I very easily believe it. They reference something and everything. Yeah, in an Agents of Shield episode, uh, Maria Hill says something about what is a man thing. Oh, so, yeah, fun I can't there, believe so. I missed that. I I can't believe it either, man. Wow. All right. Well, that's that's my bad, y'all. Absolutely your bad. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's just a little history of those two characters. I mean, um, there's I mean, I'd say the other breakout is like the Bloodstone, Elsa Bloodstone character. She was great. She's amazing. Yeah. She no, was super she was, cool. Like, that's the thing, is like uh Gael Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly, who played Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone, respectively. Um, they really do a good job of like carrying this movie equally in that like when you're jumping between them it's just like you're so invested in their journeys that at no point are you like man why'd they cut away from this you know like you're just as happy to like stick with one versus the other and then obviously when they get together like the chemistry in terms of like how well they play off each other is so good and i mean i know like with this time span and everything like it would have been very um convoluted to do it anyway but i am glad they sidestepped any kind of like romantic attempt in their storyline and just like you know like i feel like like so much of what i'm complimenting like at its core speaks to like how wise it was to just have this be like a 50 minute thing versus a feature length thing that they might feel compelled to like fall into some more like uh commonly uh complained complained upon points with like marvel movies you know like i feel like they sidestepped a lot of that by just making this thing so concise and objective oriented and it just moved so briskly and again like going back to my original point like it's really just goes to how great jack and elsa are as characters to follow for sure for sure and and i'd i'd uh uh, I'd be criticized by our comics fan for not saying that Elsa is also a comics character. Elsa Bloodstone, she came uh, was debuted in 2001, I believe. Um, but yeah, she's also the daughter of Ulysses Bloodstone. And Ulysses was a character in the comics in the 70s, too, who was part of like the Legion of, I don't know, Monster Hunters. I forget what they're called, too. But like, So are yeah, they basically, are they Marvel's version of the Constantines, then, is the idea? That's a good way to, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Well, there's just know. a character that's like exactly her in the Sandman TV yeah. show and comics. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, there's just, it's just way too many comparisons, I guess. It's probably true. I mean, Marvel and DC like have a lot of those like paired off characters who are basically the one, but in a different universe, you know? That's, sure. It's very probable. I don't know like much about the way that they depicted the Ulysses bloodstone in this is not very Constantine like, but. I could see, yeah, they may be like trying to make Elsa that kind of a character, yeah. Right, yeah, like they're mirror versions of each other. You're Tony Stark, yeah. and Bruce Wayne's. Right. Um, no, but I, I mean, just going back to the story itself, like I really loved how like clean it was, and I don't know, like it, I, I know we were talking a lot about how like it harkens to like old Hollywood, but like it also feels like a uh, like a, a, a an episode of Angel or something very Whedonverse in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Where like yeah. they basically just like introduce like a team full of like badasses and like their objective is to hunt like Angel or like Angel's a part of the team and they all have to hunt something. And like the whole point is just like watching like our protagonist just kick a bunch of ass and like the like flimsiest of reasons for it too, where it's just like it always makes me so like it's one of my favorite like little mini subgenres within like action movies or like action genre, like action plus whatever genre type movies where it's like, 
all right, we all got to go to this funeral where the guy's dying wish is that the rest of us mostly die too. Like, that's just always so funny to me. You know what I mean? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, like it's bad enough. We got to go mourn like our fallen comrade, like statistically, like half or more of us will die on this like hunt that we're doing to like celebrate his life. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot too. I, I, I almost was going to say there's not a lot of exposition, but there actually is, but it's done in a way that feels like really breezy and quick. You know, it's like it's out of, it gets out of the way quick, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Yeah. Like when they get into the action of it all, which like, I am glad that we took like such a long time in the beginning and like, just like set the mood and made it this creepy aura. And then Mm -hmm. we have the uh, amazing uh, like uh, phonograph recorded uh, corpse uh telling everybody <laughs> yeah. like his like wishes and stuff like that and that stupid joke at the end but what is like <laughs> well, the... i'm rotting for you <laughs> oh my god i i humor i watched that and was like this is for joe like this oh, is yeah. for the joe's world so so good all of that was amazing and it did such a good job of like subverting whatever like expectations you had so that when they do get into the action and when uh jovan the like I don't even know what you call him. Like he's like a like Norse witcher type dude. And he just starts coming in heavy with that ax to take out Elsa. And it's all just so cool and exciting. And I, I don't know. It just like, I was with it the whole way. It was so fun. And like getting to rewatch it and knowing what was coming, like even times when before, when I was like, okay, where is this going? Now that I knew where it was going, it moved so much quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I got. I only watched it the one time, but I, I feel like I really want to rewatch it already. It's 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 great. Um, I love that. So you're mentioning that opening scene where they all kind of come into the chamber. Um, it's really cool to see the like the trophy, the trophy heads like all around the room. Oh Cause yeah, the, yeah. Because like the visual effects scene, like there's. I mean, we'll get into it, but like a whole crap ton of this is practical, which is super cool to see compared to like lots of Marvel stuff, which isn't always practical, a lot of CGI based stuff. Um, but they created all of those, like, I mean, as you could tell, like they're all created like physical pieces that they put up there. So they had to kind of create these different kinds of creatures and monsters to just make for a trophy room, you know? And, uh, and actually I got a list of like, in a sense, if we're, if we're going off, like this is MCU canon, like it's canonizing a whole bunch of creatures in the Marvel world. Like, I mean, of course, werewolves we get, but like, Bigfoot Sasquatch is like canon. Um, a bat like vampires, two headed mermaids, uh, a demon, reptilians, gremlins. Like, I mean, all, I guess this canon. is the first time like they're like pointing at it like point blank. It's canon. Yeah. But I don't know about you, but like, I feel like Doctor Strange and more so Doctor Strange 2 and to an extent WandaVision really opened the door to like, okay, everything's game now in my mind. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This you is just like, this is just like showing you firsthand it now, you know? Yeah, no, I do yeah. like it. And I mean, there's been like sly references to vampires and stuff in other productions now. So it feels like they're really just keying us up for what like the next phase is really going to look like. And it's going to be like so much more niche and like, to me, the optim the optimistic side of me at least says like, oh, this is gonna make for like way more original and fresh stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Feel the same way. Man, what do you think uh, about the like the black and white choice? I loved it honestly. I think it really just helped you forget the Marvel of it all. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I think a big part of like at least the Marvel look that can kind of make you glaze over if you've seen too many of them, which at this point you either have, or you haven't seen any, um, Mm -hmm. 
I think for me, at least like the polish of like your typical Marvel production uh, makes me take their uh, cinematography choices a little less seriously at times. It all just feels a little too like showroom of like a Lamborghini dealership at times. Yeah. And and so just going with like this like gritty black and white grainy uh, texture, um, it really just made so many of the scenes in it stand out even more so. I mean, namely my favorite scenes are all from like the werewolf transformation into that like amazing third act. Um, I would say like the two that really stick out to me are the actual transformation when Jack is transforming and we see it entirely from the perspective of the shadows lighting up behind Elsa in the cage. Um, That was an amazing choice. It like sucked me in even the second time. Like I just found myself engrossed by it. I, I was watching it with a couple of friends and they were also just like captivated by it. It was so great. And then the one that I really loved was um, when he's in that little like hallway entrance, you know, with like that metal door that's like slowly closing and he, he's fully werewolfed out. Jack is werewolfed out and he's just like leaping from wall to wall, just like tearing these guys limb from limb. And it's so graphic and it's just like the crunches and all of it just is so visceral and still just looks like such an accomplishment on a stunt work level. And it all is accentuated by like this black and white texture and it doesn't like read visually as graphic as it could have if they had made it in color, obviously, which I think is another like clever sidestep of what could only be uh, Marvel standards and practices would have stepped in if it was like a fully like red painted room and like organs everywhere. <laughs> so I think they very like delicately and elegantly sidestepped all of that with that choice. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. I think that was, that's you're. I think you're onto something. I read somewhere that uh, they were able to get away with showing so much more like blood and and violent scenes being black and white, so they didn't have to like worry about you know, a different kind of, I think it was a TVMA rating at that point they were trying to avoid instead of an R, but no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting to think about like how, you know, like the considerations of like, you know, making something black and white, like you have to, you think about lighting and think about the way things look right. Like I read, uh, Giacchino, uh, in an interview I read from him, he's talked about having a black and white monitor. So when they were shooting, he would reference that and make sure like, does this look good in black and white? Like, does this work? So they just, you know, they, they were like thinking about that process the whole way through. Wow. No, I mean, and I mean, just, let's just give a moment of praise to Giacchino here. Cause I mean, as far as I know, he's the first composer turned director in the MCU. Um, so really like speaking of pioneering or trailblazing, this guy is really, really like coming out swinging for the fences with this. I was so impressed. What did you think of his work? Phenomenal. I was, I I loved it. Like he's obviously, you know, like, like a fan of this style of like a monster, like classic monster movies. And it, and it shows like he's doing like, he's, he's, he's directing this, like somebody who's like, this is my shot to do this. You know, like, I mean, he's, certainly not like a like a nobody who's given a shot out of nothing like he's a very very accomplished you know composer of course but uh like he he's coming he's coming in hot and it's it shows like there's a lot of cool shots a lot of cool things that he's doing like techniques like yeah i'm very excited to see what he does next i cannot wait and honestly the whole time i was watching it it, like i just kept slapping my head going like yeah 
why are we not letting like more like department heads like take the helm of a movie? You know, like these people who are routinely in like very crucial creative meetings and are seeing like thought processes and understand like how styles and are clearly like artistically like pretty gifted themselves in their own right. Like, why are we not giving more of them like shots? Like I want to see what kind of movie the uh, head wardrobe person on uh, black Panther could make. You know what I mean? Like mm, yeah. I was, you know, in the same way I was impressed by uh, Giacchino scores in previous Marvel movies, I was very impressed by the wardrobe in that movie. And, and now I'm just like, what else do you have? Like just holstered there that you could just like whip out if you got the keys to the whole like kingdom. Yeah. For sure. And and I want to echo like what you said too about like the, the transform werewolf transformation scene being such like a cool like technique and way to do it. Like we've seen so many werewolf tra- transformations throughout history and like movies and everything. And the the choice to just like not show it is is bold, but also just really smart too. Cause you don't really want like it, you don't want to be compared to, you know, like American Werewolf in London or some of the greats. And, or and you don't want to be like you know, like compared to the, some of the CGI werewolf transformation, transformations of the 90s that just look silly and bad. So like by focusing on her reaction and the shadows that are cast, like you just you just create so much more of like a sense of tension and dread really in the room. Like that just like zooming in on like Elsa's reactions and the shadows, like it, it adds so much more to that scene. It was amazing. And it was picturesque. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like that shot of Elsa's face is like, so engrossing and it really just like puts you in her position of like she's already like resigned herself to well he's gonna turn into a werewolf and eat me because i'm the only thing in this cage with him and now that it's actually happening it doesn't make it any less terrifying yeah and it's 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 so good yeah it's like like you were saying i think in one of the previous episodes like when you think about like a like a cinematography or a shot, like what would what would make a good poster in your room? Like I almost feel like the shot of her like holding her arm up and the and the werewolf shadow like finally you know there like that's a good poster. Yes, so yeah. good, just such a striking visual. And I mean, <laughs> like speaking of which, like the cinematography throughout did not disappoint. There were so many just like amazing shots. I want to give a special shout out to the flaming tuba. Uh, <laughs> yes, in the opening processions, that was amazing. Um, it, it felt very like, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just like, just like that little embellishment of like, there are just traditions and little customs that we're not going to have time to directly address. So you're just going to have to roll with it. Flaming tuba being one of them. <laughs> Flaming tuba. I love it. Yeah. That just, <laughs> oh man, not, uh, I was watching it with, uh, Eric actually, and he just busted out laughing at that. <laughs> it was, it was, it was well received in our house. Yes, I'm sure it is across the board. Um, yeah, so I do got to ask though in that third act, like these people are all supposed to be like expert monster hunters, you know, like they all have like crazy kill counts, you know, and I'm just wondering, did none of them like question the integrity of the onion shaped cage that they put the guy who's about <laughs> to be turned into a werewolf into? Because he seemed to have zero problem busting out of that. And I just, I don't get it. I don't, can you please help me out here, Joe? Am I missing something? Uh, no, maybe the only thing, I mean, the, the monster hunters are probably like along for the ride in a sense. Like my only thing, maybe Barusa, right? The older, the widow of Ulysses, like she's yeah. not a monster hunter. She's just there. Like she's, 
not a hunter herself, right? She's not participating in anything. Like she's just kind of like facilitating. And so then maybe they're like, well, hopefully this facil- facilitator has things, things figured it out, you know, but sure. She didn't. But I, that, see, that just seems like the kind of thing. I don't, I don't know, man. Like if you're like the guards there or any of the surviving hunters, which at that point, I think there really only was like one hunter left anyway. Yeah. But um, even so, I don't know, man, that just seemed like, Put a lot of trust on this cage before you, for absolutely no reason other than like a taste of irony, I guess, you're going to turn him into a werewolf. Like that's it was all your choice. You know what I mean? The cage sufficed before you made him impossible to cage. Yeah. Uh, no, I no, I'm no, I'm with you. I'm just I was just trying to think think of maybe something they could be thinking about, but yeah, no, you're right. It's a silly no. thing. And I mean, it's again, it's a nitpick. Like it had to go down the way it did. One because it's like it's supposed to kind of underscore how powerful Jack really is, you know, when they tee it up with how he's has a hundred kills and now you're understanding why, um, like I get it and it had to go down the way it did. Cause it's an awesome ending. So like in the same way that I did the prey episode and like found like one tiny nitpick and something that I really truly did enjoy. Um, I'm just throwing it out there as just like a, that was a chin scratcher for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, so, did you have a fa- who was your favorite red shirt? My favorite red shirt of the yeah. hunters that died? Y- yeah. You know, for me, it was like the less description we got, the more like red shirty they got. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it's like eventually you get to like, I'm looking at IMDb, otherwise I would not know their names. But like when you <laughs> when you get to Leorn and Barrasso, it's just like, oh, okay, so you guys are dead, dead. Yo, Barrasso lasted t- towards the end there. What was, what, what do you mean? Oh, psh- I guess, but like only by virtue of like they were doing the kill them one by one thing, you know. It yeah. wasn't like any kind of like savvy on Barasso's part. Azariel was, like, was the last one to go, right? Of the Azariel, yeah. So like Jovan and Azariel. So like Azariel's like the David Bowie type, yeah. And Jovan is like Norse Watcher and <laughs> Witcher, or, I guess, or, or Witcher. Sorry, Watcher. not even Norse. Like I guess Scottish. He's very. He's doing yeah, he's a lot Scottish. of like. So just, yeah, Kirk Thatcher. Jovan, right? Yeah. The actor. You might not appreciate this, but Punk on the Bus from the Star Trek Four. Yep, I do yeah. not. Yeah. He's a he's a he's an icon in Star Trek fandom. So So there was a bus at one point and he was on it? He 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 plays this like um boombox on a bus and when the one they go back in time and the whales save the whales. And then Kirk's like, turn it down, and then Spock like uh gives him the net nerve pinch and then everyone on the bus cheers. I vaguely remember you mentioning something about the bus guy yeah. in the boombox on about something else. He, co- he comes back in, in, in Star Trek Picard season two for a campaign. That's too, so. it. Yeah, yep. that was it. Yep, okay. Was it, yeah. Well, so same guy. Yeah. So those are the two that are like, we're supposed to care about in terms of like the pack of hunters other than Jack and Elsa. Um, and then the rest are literally just there to show how badass Elsa is and how she just dispatches them with no problem. Yeah. So yeah, they're Brasso and Leorn. Leorn was the guy. He had the cool like hand shooting things, and then she cut off his hand. Yeah, which I don't know, man. Like I feel like with like these like old timey like we're gilded warriors fighting like monsters and stuff, and it's just like not one of you could have a gun. Blade has a gun. <laughs> it's a good point, actually. Maybe that's part of the ritual. I don't know. I didn't say it. It's just like I don't know. The second she gets that wrist projectile, like she becomes like what, like the second deadliest person in the pack just because by virtue of having a projectile weapon? Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Whatever, you know, it's 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 not for me to tell people how to hunt monsters. Lord knows I could be missing some crucial points. You most likely are. I mean, not most likely. I know something. 
Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I guess yeah. you have to determine whether or not you're going to fight or flirt with them every episode. So exactly. So I'm basically a monster hunter or lover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say I'm most, uh, I, I'm very excited to see like if they continue the story, like the adventures of, you know, Jack and, and his buddy Ted, like what they get into, but I'm actually mo- more excited to see like what Elsa Bloodstone gets up to with the Bloodstone, you know, moving forward. Oh, she's definitely the character to follow. No offense to Jack Russell or anything, but it's like you kind of get his whole deal, you know? Kind of, yeah, yeah. You know, him and Ted or like whatever, like cohort of like monsters that are actually good at their heart. Like they just try to stay out of people's trouble every once in a while. One of them gets like caught in shenanigans and then they all like jump to the rescue or something. I don't know. I get it. Um, But yeah, Elsa's definitely the one with like the, oh, like I want to see like your Batman, the animated series adventures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her monster hunting adventures. Yeah, 100%. That'd be fun. Should we monster it up? Let's monster. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got Jack Russell, right? Werewolf by night, monster hunter who's been afflicted with a curse that turns him into a werewolf. Uh, Interesting things about the way that we see the werewolf in this. So um, Giacchino... I have a quote from him. I read this interesting interview with him. Uh, he talks all about his decisions he made in like depicting monsters. He says, quote, I wanted to make sure you could see the face because that's the human part of it, the eyes and his facial features. I didn't want to lose that. So we didn't want him to be full on animalistic because he wanted to pay homage to those like classic universal movies where like a bunch of those kind of stories are rooted in like the human element of the monster, right? Like the Wolfman, like, uh, even Dracula, like uh, Frankenstein, like the human element of that. Like, so they wanted to like still tie into like what that is. And like, that's why we have that, that kind of powerful scene of like them locking eyes there too. Um, so he like made that a big, big point. He also says, um, quote, uh, a CG werewolf has been done and done great, but I didn't think we were going to improve on what has been done. And I wanted something real that was in front of us. It's already enough to ask for someone to believe werewolves are real, but I, f- I felt like we would have a better chance of pulling it off. Uh, if it actually was a real person on set in the costume. So there there was a strong commitment to like making it all practical and like putting the makeup on, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, I already said it, but that was the best choice. Like the practical effects and everything just really made it for me, especially with the fight scenes. It's very, yeah. you can just, when you're just more impressed uh, at the end of the day, when like everybody's in the room doing like this, like intense choreography. Yeah. So there there was a whole bunch of different like VFX companies that were involved. And of course, there was CGI touch-ups and like CGI elements that you can see. Um, But uh, Giacchino was very like uh, adamant on like starting out like he said like where the werewolf has to be practical. Let's build an actual man thing suit. Uh, Let's see how far we can get with those kinds of things. And so like I think K&B is one of the studios that did it. We've talked about them in the past and they they're the ones who built this like life size like the man thing Ted suit which was completely animatronic and the eyes glowed red um, and the hands were like motorized. So like they were able to like have this like fully practical, like creature on set, like that they were able to talk to, which was pretty cool there. Yeah, no, I mean the creature effects on Ted were amazing. Like I love just like that weird, like dreaded, like dreadlock style, almost like just hanging off, drooping off him. Mm-hmm, like he almost mm-hmm. looks like a melted candle at times. And the way that the only thing in color is like the bloodstone that's just like wedged in his back. And yeah, like, there's, you know, like there's something that's like so telling about even that of just like this, like thing that's just like infiltrated him and how like just helpless he, he looks at times, which is impressive when you're also looking at this like terrifying nine foot monster. Who can kill super easily. 
Which, yeah, I was not <laughs> expecting it the first time. When he did it to Javon, like, that was insane. I was just like, did he need that? Like, he's already <laughs> so powerful, and he has this, like, haunting, like, turn you into Cinder's power. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I don't even <laughs> like, are there, is there a species of him or no? Yeah, you said he's an experiment gone wrong. I'm, Thank God. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Man-Thing was a, yeah, it's Man-Thing. He's just like, it's just one. Yeah, there's not multiple. I wonder if like they added that later on or that was always like his power. It was just like, yeah, he's a swamp thing, but he can also just like turn you into ash. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. It was um, sick. It was sick, yeah. and it was like I probably again another good like standards and practices sidestep of like n- like you can't just like show this guy like just tearing people apart. People, yeah, yeah, how he would do it otherwise. Yeah, that's that's smart actually. Yeah, um, there was it. So it wasn't animatronic, but there was a dude wearing the the man thing suit, and it was uh, the guy's name was Carrie Jones, who was a special effects makeup supervisor for the film. There were CGI touch ups, of course, to the face, like I mentioned, and some things like when he was like moving. But yeah, it was a dude wearing a suit in a giant animatronic, which is pretty cool. Any relation to Dougie? Uh, I don't think so, but that would be cool if there was. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, there's with Marvel, you have a whole bunch of, like I said, a whole bunch of different companies working together. So I don't have a whole lot of specifics, but, uh, one of the, one of the, um, uh, uh, VFX artists actually, uh, his name is Howard Berger. I think it is is his name. Yeah. Howard Berger. He, uh, he posts on his Instagram, uh, feed, like some behind the scenes pictures, uh, of making this, um, just like putting the man thing together, like putting the makeup on Jack for the, the werewolf costume, making the heads that were in like that uh, opening, those opening shots. And uh, so I'll link to those, those photos, but it's kind of cool to just to see like the makeup work that's being done, like behind the scenes and like this, the craftsmanship that goes into like all of that, the artistry. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely was done by like a crew that had a lot of fun making like monster stuff. Man, this whole thing must've been so fun to shoot. My favorite thing was like, there was just like a moment there where the uh, Jack as Wolfman is just like, full chewbacca these like guards you know like that's <laughs> yeah. all i could see was like chewbacca i just kept waiting for like the little like uh i don't even know the trill noise he makes or whatever and just like because yeah he's just like swatting them like they're nothing and it was so funny <laughs> yeah no i i agree um you know speaking of swatting things like they're nothing khalid yeah that's a thing that bears will often do to bees when they're going for honey I was right up there with you up until the bees honey part. You could have just said they swat things away like they're nothing because they're big. And that's a segue to the four bears test. It is. All right. All right. Not your worst attempt. I'll give you that. Yeah, it was pretty uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so wait, which beast am I doing? Ted or Wolfman? This is your thing, Khalid. You got to figure it out. Man, you are just never, never a life raft around with you. Um, okay. So the four bears test is basically what it sounds like but also kind of not uh basically i just asked this like dumb fun thought experiment thing of what would happen if you replace the monster in question with four bears does it change the story at all and i don't know it's just a fun dumb thing i do so come along for the ride folks um for this one i guess i will go with the werewolf because it is called werewolf by night um and that is kind of the monster that like steals the show no offense to ted he had some great moments but wolfman was just putting up points all night you can't do nothing against that um 
so yeah, with the werewolf, as far as the four bears test, it's interesting because like it's come up a few times now, but like we're talking about like a group of people that uh, like ostensibly could handle bears because they fight monsters all the time and monsters usually like are smarter. They have magic as we've seen with Ted and like all these other elements that should make a bear not a problem for them. But they also don't like question the integrity of their onion shaped cages. <laughs> so I guess like I'm just at a loss for like what they're actually prepared for truly. Cause like, I'll be honest. I don't think any of the other hunters outside of Elsa and Jack had a chance against Ted, even with like no in, like help from them. So like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I'm going to say that four bears would easily bust out of that cage if they were like in a concerted effort to. And I mean, does the bloodstone work against just regular animals? It's Or is it like the kind of thing where it only works against monsters? It only works against monsters. That's how they knew that Jack was a monster. Okay. So then, yeah, the one thing that they even have, because they insist on not bringing guns to, to fight beasts, uh, is like handheld weapons and tasers and stuff. And they just, they weren't expecting a, a jailbreak. So like the, the element of surprise is entirely on the bear side. So you know what? Yeah, I am pretty confident in saying for the first time in a while that this passes the four bears test. Damn. Werewolf by Night passes four bears test. I don't like Elsa's chances just because I don't think that the bears are going to care that she looks them in the eyes or or they have her scent. Yeah. Um, that's really the bears call. Uh, maybe one bear, but four, that seems unlikely. So Elsa's probably not making it out of that version. But I do think for, for the most part, the, the third act would have gone the same. I also think that uh, if you go the other way of it, like where you replace Ted with the four bears, like the competition kind of stays the same. Like what if we just release four bears into this maze and you have to hunt them down? Like that also is an equally scary competition. Oh yeah. In a maze, bears are so fast. Like as soon as it's like barreling down on you and all you have are these narrow pathways that you're so boned. Especially if you find a dead end. Yeah. Like you're screwed. Yeah, like you got to be like looking for like the high ground and shit and you just got to like stay away because in the maze, it's the Bears game. Yeah, yeah. No, I I don't think that. So I think that I think it passes on both fronts then, right? Would you say? More or less. I mean, I think it's I think it passes more than most other movies we've talked about just by virtue of like the location and the aforementioned lack of preparedness on their part. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, speaking of virtue, Khalid. Speaking of. Let's discuss your virtue in would you fight or would you flirt with the monsters in question? Well, I don't want to like jump the gun here or anything like that. And obviously, of course, fight or flirt is what it sounds like. I talk about whether or not I would fight or flirt with the monster, depending on what I know of it. Um, I don't want to jump the gun or anything, but. The movie or the special event, sorry, uh, <laughs> kind of gives the answer away, you know, like the whole thing is like finding the compassion in these beasts. That's what saves uh, Elsa both times, you know, with yeah. Ted. She, uh, Jack is like, you have to like call him Ted and be like nice to him and all that stuff. And then later on, he's like, look me in the eyes and like uh, that'll like get to me, like the core of who I am. And I will like get like give you mercy so you know like 
it's hard to argue with like the straight up text of the movie telling me exactly what I need to do to survive because at no point does it give any option other than like if you're lucky enough to like get a kill shot with the uh, the bloodstone like it gives you no other option to survive it so I have to flirt you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, yeah no I, I think that's great I I uh, I was with you I was like you got but you have thrown some curveballs at me and surprised me but I I think that you have to go with flirt here. Well, yeah. And I mean, they went through such great lengths to show like how, how cool Ted is. And Jack seems like a pretty chill guy, like 29 days out of the month. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> I they're giving me a like a lot of leeway in terms of like finding something I can like hang on to relationship wise. Like Ted seems like as soon as I learned his weird language, like we're going to hit it off. He seems funny. Yeah. Big softy, too. Yeah, and you know, like they're going on adventures, jailbreaks and stuff like that. We could be like a monster A team. I'll be Mr. T. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the comics it's called the League of Monsters or the Legion of Monsters. Like there's No, I like Monster A team better. I, I mean it's yeah, it's your your thing is better. Yeah. But that's Thank that's you. what they are in the comics. We're all just driving in a van. Yeah. Driving in a van. Play the A team theme song. Ba bam Something like that. I think yeah, that was yep. Yep, that was exactly it, Khalid. Yep, don't nobody call me on it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was good. I um a little bit shorter episode for you guys, uh, listeners here. I know it's a shorter like property that we end up reviewing, but I think that was a that was a fun conversation about it. Super fun, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Should we uh, move into our final segment of the show? Let's do it. Our final segment is called. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> What's the fandom? Thought I was a sick one. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you know, it's 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 part it's part of the bit now. But uh, what the the what the fandom seg- uh, segment of the show is where we each share uh, one to two to maybe three, I guess, Khalid things that uh, uh, we are into that we're listening to, watching, reading, what have you that we think you guys might enjoy. Uh, Khalid, what the fandom with you? Um, my what the fandom is actually going to be a movie that I threw on right before my rewatch of Werewolf by Night. Um, it's uh, it's a 2021 film called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. I was just uh, oh, I really want to see that. I just I saw the trailer recently. Oh, buddy, it's a the trailer is what sucked me in. Sometimes I like to do uh, what I call like Amazon Prime roulette, where like I'll just go through and be like, all right, well, let's like well, let's see what in the depths of Amazon I'll find. And this came up in one of their new releases sections and it's amazing. It's uh, directed by Anna Lily Amarpour who uh, directed the, uh, this amazing, um, I believe it's Iranian. It was an Iranian black and white film years ago called a girl walks home alone at night, which great movie. That's also a great movie. I 110% recommend it. It's just like an Iranian vampire movie guys. That's all you need. That's the sale. Um, so with this, uh, follow-up or I believe she's done something in between, but this movie she's made since then, uh, Mona Lisa and the blood moon, it's just, it's so great. Like without giving too much of it away, like it really just feels like a campy, like eighties horror movie by way of Sean Baker, who did like tangerine and Florida project and recently oh, yeah. rocket. Um, there's just like this, like. Sean Baker, Harmony Corinne kind of like grittiness to it, you know, where like it's so much about like 
uh, highlighting like the quote unquote, like underworld of a town and like giving the humanity to those characters. But then amidst all of that is like this gonzo, awesome, like supernatural sci-fi genre plot that um, at no point do they feel like they're clashing and it leads to a very exciting finale and, yeah, man. Um, like when we talk about cinematography and like the best shots are the ones that could be posters in your wall. Like a girl walks home alone at night, had a bunch of them and Mona Lisa and the blood moon carries on that tradition. It's just so many just striking visuals and you really just like, it's set in new Orleans and you really just get like a feel of the type of new Orleans that the director is trying to, um, show us. And yeah, just uh, go ahead and check it out. As of this recording, it's available to rent on Amazon Prime. Um, if there's other ways to check it out, we'll throw it into the footnotes. But yeah, that is my What the Phantom this week. My only one, Joe. <laughs> wow. Yeah, saucy. Yeah. It's got a great cast though, right? Too. Really great uh, cast. It's got Kate Hudson, uh, Craig Robinson, Ed Screen plays a very interesting character, which I only knew him as the bad guy from the first Deadpool, where he's like a smarmy, like British dude. So like to see him in this character was very illuminating. And then uh, Jian Zhang Seo uh, plays the lead character, Mona Lisa, and she is awesome. I think she's been in some other stuff that I just haven't had the chance to check out, but I am officially counting myself a fan of hers. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check that one out. Yeah, man, definitely check it out. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. Um, and Joe, <clears throat> what's the fandom with you? Thanks, Khalid. Your, uh, your throat clearing was not as intense as mine. I If I do too intense of a fake throat clearing, it's going to turn into a real cough. I mean, that's commitment, though. Yeah, I guess. I'm just, yeah, my heart's not in it. I don't know what to tell you. That's fair. Uh, anyway, thanks for asking, Khalid. Yeah. Uh, my what the fandom this week. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry the theme of the spooky things uh, since it's in October and spooky month. But uh, I am gonna recommend another book. Um, I've recommended this author on multiple occasions, but I'm reading reading a new book by her. It's uh, the Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher, uh, which is a pseudonym for Ursula Vernon. Um, I uh, I recommended some of her fantasy work before, and her one of her other horror novels called The Twisted Ones in the past, and. Her horror work is really interesting because she's she's playing in that uh, that kind of sandbox of like cosmic horror, uh, like Lovecraft style stuff, but takes it into this like more modern setting. And she has characters usually as like female protagonists that uh, definitely have this kind of like snarky, humorous attitude in it. So it's a really interesting like uh, like pairing with that kind of like existential dread and just like somebody who like kind of cracks like jokes here and there and they and they never feel like off-putting or cringy they always feel like kind of like how you would cope with a situation like that um but the hollow places is, is really cool like the twist ones before it, it's a it's an update on a on a classic uh short story from that genre and um in this case is it, it's a it's an update on an old story called uh the willows by Algernon blackwood and uh it's Oh, it's so it's such an interesting, unique story, but it's it follows the main the main character, uh, Kara, who uh, reeling from like a divorce, comes down to North Carolina to help her uncle run this like really obscure, like pseudo Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. And the uncle gets sick. And so she has to be in charge of it. And she finds this strange hole in the wall. And the hole ultimately leads to this like other dimension, other world with like kinds of incomprehensible like entities that do like awful things to whoever finds themselves in, in coming into that realm and like 
the, the planes shift and thing and like things aren't quite as they seem. So if they explore a little bit, they're like, we don't know where we came from. So there's a lot of like just really interesting like concepts. Uh, it paints a really cool picture of the world. Uh, it's it's just like as a horror uh, work, it's a, it's really well done and effectively scary. But there are also times where I found myself like actually like giggling and laughing at some of the things that the characters say and how they react to a situation. Um, but for my like October spooky read, like I am absolutely loving it. I'm just like plowing through it. Like I don't have a whole lot of time to sit down and read, but whenever I can, I'm like, I'm pulling it out. I'm really enjoying it. So uh, if you like uh, kind of scary, like cosmic horror books, like definitely check out the hollow places by T King Fisher. I am almost done with it. I would say not quite maybe over three fourths the way done, but I am, I am very excited about it at this point. So that is mine for this week. Nice. Well, you guys got a lot to chew on from both of us. Uh, yeah. Give, give it a give it a read. Give it a watch when you can. Um, and thank you for listening to our fun discussion of Werewolf by Night. I know I enjoyed it and enjoyed talking about it. I hope you did, Joe. Kali, um, can I say a few things before you sign us off? Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. This is uh, off script, y'all. I have no off idea script. what's coming. I yeah. uh, just wanted to put that out there. All right, Joe, you have the floor. All right. Thanks, Khalid. I just wanted to say, uh, if I hadn't gotten a chance to say this before, but like, welcome to any new listeners. We've had a big uptick in listeners. For some reason, our episodes on Predator and Prey, uh, both respectively, are very popular with with people. So people have been finding us through those, and I hope whoever finds us through those have been like sticking around and checking out other episodes. So if, if you're one of those new folks who just recently found us, welcome. Um, and I also just wanted to say, uh, it's been a lot of fun, Khalid, We've had a few episodes in a row that you and I have been just doing together. But uh, for those of you who've been wondering, like if we're having any guests coming back on, definitely keep an eye out for episodes coming out uh, in the next several weeks and next next couple of months. I've been I've been working hard and lining up some really fun and interesting guests to come back and to have for the first time and some fun projects to really discuss. So I think uh, I think the coming months uh, of Frankenstein's podcast are going to be really, uh, really fun. We got some goodies coming up, folks. Yeah. I can co-sign that. Joe has been working hard. So that's all, Khalid. Just wanted to say excited and welcome. Yeah, welcome. I also uh, want to say that as well. Um, it's cool, and we have a fun time talking on here, so I hope you guys are enjoying what we put out there. And yes, welcome to all the newbies. Um, you're in for a lot of just grown-worthy jokes from Joe. Um <laughs> Yeah, but uh, with all that being said, uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, creep it easy. Bye.